Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Brad Schoenfeld. This podcast is brought to you by Hawking Dynamics, the world leader in innovative force plate technology. Hawking Dynamics takes a user-centric approach featuring a fully customizable cloud-based software that allows users to easily digest and analyze complex force plate data. Their technology is constantly evolving, much like an app update for your iPhone. They communicate with users on a daily basis to make their system better. In addition to all of that, they also offer some of the most competitive prices for bilateral force plates on the market. And they're the only force plate company offering a completely wireless system. So, if you want to find out more, check out their easy intro to force plate section at www.hawkingdynamics.com forward slash blog. So, without further ado, it's time to welcome Brad onto the show. So, Brad Schoenfeld, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thanks so much for having me, Matthew. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. So, could you, for the one or two people who haven't heard of you, give us a quick rundown of who you are and what you've been up to until now? Sure. I am a, uh, I would consider myself an educator. Uh, my goal in life is to make an impact in the fitness field through um, promoting the importance of evidence-based practice. Uh, my primary research focus is in body composition. Uh, I was a former bodybuilder, so it's uh, muscle muscle mass, uh, primarily hypertrophy and also fat loss. But I'm a professor at uh, Lehman College in the Bronx. I carry out research. I've published over 250 uh, research peer-reviewed papers. I'm an international lecturer. I've lectured in over 30 countries. And my new, the second edition of my new textbook is called Science and Development of Muscle Hypertrophy 2E. So uh, give that one a read. It uh, really delves into the science of muscle growth. And you've published 250 papers on it. So I think you're probably the right person to write that book, right? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. I would hope so. <laughs> I hope so too. First question, why is hypertrophy important? And who is it important for? Well, I mean, really, it's important for everyone, but uh, there's just so many reasons. First of all, the reason most people want it is for the aesthetic aspect. So larger muscles have been associated with uh, a more pleasing, aesthetically pleasing physique, and people want to look great naked so, uh, or look great in clothes, too. So uh, certainly that is at the top of the list. But there's a high correlation between muscle mass and muscle strength and the importance of muscle strength, of course, is uh, certainly hopefully I don't need to go into why that's important, but from a functional standpoint, et cetera, uh, hugely important. Uh, there's glucose disposal reasons. The more muscle mass you have, the uh, lower your incidence of glucose-related issues as a general rule because you have more uh, ability to store glucose. So the effects in insulin resistance would be diminished. Um, there are uh, muscle mass actually secretes uh, prop various properties, what are called myokines, which have beneficial effects. Uh, again, I could go on, but muscle muscle mass is is hugely important to everyone, and it's not just from the looks perspective. It really transcends many, not only aesthetic uh, aspects but health related aspects as well. Fantastic. So, yeah, of course, it is important to look great and feel good, but living for a, a long and living in a, a with a high quality of life is also uh, key, right? right. Yep. Um, so when we're talking about these adaptations of hypertrophy, what are the key adaptations which underpin muscles getting bigger? 
So when you're talking adaptations, I'm assuming now you're referring to what happens, like what causes growth. And it's, it's actually really interesting. And this is an evolving area of research that uh, there's still some question about. But one of the things that is pretty well established is you get more uh, elements, contractile elements. And your major contractile elements, of course, are actin and myosin. There's also a contractile element called titan. Uh, which also has been shown to be very important in the process. And these elements are what allow, they're basically what increases your strength. They allow the the sliding, that's where the sliding filament theory comes in, and they allow the contractility of muscles. So having more of these contractile elements, at least theoretically, uh, allows you to have greater strength capacity. And they're generally the primary way that hypertrophy occurs through resistance training is what is called in parallel which means that the um, basically the additional sarcomeres are aligned like uh, sardines in a can. They're aligned next to each other. And uh, that gives you more girth. That's what uh, creates increases in the, the overall bulk of the muscle. There's also some evidence, although this remains somewhat controversial, and it certainly happens to much less of an extent, but there's also some evidence that you can get what's called a serial hypertrophy, in series hypertrophy, where the sarcomeres are added like uh, chains on a link, so uh, one uh, after another. And the benefit to that appears to be that there's greater uh, speed-related, velocity-related benefits. So if you want to throw faster, let's say a baseball faster, uh, or kick a ball uh, with greater uh, velocity, that that would allow you uh, to carry that out. And it's somewhat shown that that happens more in the early phases of training, the first several month, month or so, several weeks to a month. But there's also some evidence that various uh, training practices, it might enhance that effect as well. Again, a controversial area. There's other interesting aspects as to hypertrophy occurring, uh, what's called in the sarcoplasmic region, so sarcoplasmic hypertrophy. There are sarcoplasmic proteins that will be involved in this, uh, uh, but there's also fluid. So some of these sarcoplasmic, the, the sarcoplasmic proteins uh, attract water into the cell, and the increase in fluid over and above that of the contractile elements has been called sarcoplasmic hypertrophy. And while that would not have any specific benefits on your uh, functional capacity, per se, it certainly would have effects on your appearance. So a bodybuilder, sarcoplasmic hypertrophy would have much greater relevance than to a uh, athlete, most, most athletes. And I would even say that some athletes, let's say you're in a weight class sport like boxing or wrestling, sarcoplasmic hypertrophy would be a negative conceivably because you would have more weight, you weigh more, and you wouldn't get the greater functional capacity out of it. So that's kind of a short course into a topic that's, like I said, quite complex. I think that's really interesting. I'd love to unpack that a little bit further. So uh, can we look at some ways that we can train these specific adaptations in in the sense of how would we make sure that we're getting uh, adaptations in parallel or in series? Um, how would we make sure that we're training muscle myofibular protein synthesis as opposed to sarcoplasmic hypertrophy? How, how can we get those different adaptations? So as I mentioned, the, uh, this is still somewhat in its infancy as far as us understanding not only what happens, but certainly how to go about uh, the applied aspects of it. But I'll, I'll tell you what 
uh, is the working hypothesis or the working theory based on fairly what I would consider low-level evidence that uh, the in-series hypertrophy seems to occur spontaneously just with that regular resistance training uh, in the initial phases. There seems to be some evidence that eccentric actions might, uh, for those who are more advanced, using uh, eccentric overload training might have greater effects on uh, in-series hypertrophy. Uh, but again, the evidence of that is preliminary. And you could do things like uh, flywheel-type training or just super-maximal loads where it's lowering a weight that's uh, super-maximal. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, I, I was just going to uh, cut you off, so that's absolutely fine. Um, yeah, my, my question then would be, yeah, what kind of speeds do you need? Because if you talk about throwing faster, it would seem somewhat intuitive if we're going to use eccentric actions that the uh, the speed of contraction might also need to be fast. Is that the case? Or is it still in literature general at the moment? Yeah, I cannot say that I have seen good literature one way or the other to show that. And the evidence that I've seen hasn't really looked at speed as a variable. So uh, they haven't compared that. So it seems that it's more a function of the eccentric training than the speed. But there might, could there be an interactive effect of speed? Perhaps. But that hasn't been teased out. As far as the sarcoplasmic hypertrophy, I'm sorry, did you want to follow up on that? Uh, very, very quickly. I just wanted to yeah. um, look quickly at the difference between supermaximal eccentric training and uh, flywheel training, which may or may not be supermaximal. Um, there's also <laughs> no particular distinction between the two. It's more like, okay, e eccentric emphasis or supermaximal training is likely to get you that kind of adaptation in the first or for more elite athletes as opposed to uh, just the, the general adaptation to that at the start of a training um, life as such or career? Again, a question that I couldn't answer based on my, what I've seen in the literature, and I've seen pretty much all of it, but anything that I've seen really has not teased out that, uh, uh, that aspect. So I, I couldn't tell you that one might be superior to another, and specifically in that regard. Uh, so... Okay. Really, that's but that's a topic again that needs more. Uh, we need a lot more research to have to elucidate our understanding to a greater degree. Right, it sounds like you need to uh, to get on the work for more than two hundred and fifty <laughs> uh, research uh, papers. <laughs> I think we can thank you enough for the two hundred and fifty, but hopefully there's some more people following up your good work uh, in the near future as well. Um, and, and as yeah, as far as the sarcoplasmic, just to finish up on yeah, that question. Uh, it, that, uh, again, the evidence is quite preliminary at this point. A colleague of mine, uh, two of them, Mike, Mike Roberts, who's out of Auburn, and Cody Hahn, who was, uh, did his doctorate under Mike, uh, and his doctoral research uh, looked at this. Uh, their research seems to suggest that higher volume, uh, lighter load training might promote greater increases in sarcoplasmic hypertrophy, whereas your heavier load training might be more specific to uh, contractile hypertrophy. Uh, although it's not clear whether they both promote the contractile hypertrophy and it's just the added hyper sarcoplasmic would be uh, specific to the, uh, so that the added uh, high rep, high volume would be more specific to sarcoplasmic. It's certainly shown that uh, the higher volume, higher rep seems to promote greater sarcoplasmic fraction hypertrophic increases, at least in the initial, in that preliminary research carried out. 
whether there's greater contractile hypertrophy through heavier load training. In my humble opinion, that still needs substantially more validation. So could we then potentially conclude from that if you're looking to do uh, if you're looking to get to a certain weight or you have a weight, a weight category, then potentially the higher rep, uh, higher volume stuff should be or could be left out towards that yes. making weight moment? Absolutely. That would be the uh, take home. Based on the current evidence that I would give is that you're better off. So if you're, let's say, a distance runner, uh, where actually, you know, hypertrophy is not something at all that you'd want. Uh, and there's that trade off. But certainly if you're in a weight sport, uh, such as wrestling or boxing and the like, uh, even powerlifting to some extent. You'd want to diminish your uh, your use of lighter load, higher volume training. So it's it's the interaction between volume and load. Uh, so b- both the higher the higher volume, uh, higher repetition training would be something you would want to diminish. This podcast is also brought to you by Flex. Flex is the latest product to enter the velocity-based training market, developed by the team at Gymware. Flex is the only laser-based training system available, and it's this unique technology that makes Flex the most accurate and reliable barbell tracking product in the sub-500 US dollar category. It's wireless, portable, and it's super user-friendly. Find out why VBT is such a powerful training method and what separates Flex from the competition at flexstronger.com. So when we talk about that in, interaction between volume and load, uh, can you give us some kind of general recommendations in terms of uh, sets, reps, um, frequency, that kind of stuff as to how we can achieve uh, potentially maximal muscle hypertrophy or at least um, uh, some kind of minimum recoverable dose of, mu- of muscle hypertrophy in a weekly and monthly setting? Yeah, so this is, uh, you asked me one of those uh, bullet point questions at the beginning, and that's where I think this kind of gets into. So we can provide, the the literature now uh, can provide some good general recommendations, uh, some more uh, concrete than others based on the strength of evidence. But what I will preface this by saying is that uh, people have very uh, significant and substantial inter-individual responses. When I carry out studies, to the same protocol. Some people are responding very robustly. Others are not responding at all or very little. And uh, I do not believe based upon um, extensive practical experience, it doesn't mean they wouldn't respond to something else. It's just that they're not responding to the specific protocol that they were, that they were given. So basically uh, volume, uh, difficult to give highly specific uh, advice on that. Uh, but generally speaking, and this is as much from personal practice and anecdote from many years of practical experience as a uh, personal trainer, uh, as well as what we do know from the literature, I'd say somewhere between 10 to 20 sets per muscle group. But here's the kicker to that, and that's why I always hesitate to give the, that type of recommendation is because you shouldn't necessarily think of doing of looking at volume for every muscle, the same for every muscle group. Uh, some what I generally say is that your lagging muscles should generally be getting more volume and your strong point muscle groups, your uh, muscle groups that are not lagging, should get less uh, because volume seems to be a driver of hypertrophy and there does seem to be an overall um, 
threshold to how much volume you can have for your entire body. So that's the systemic effect of overtraining is not based on one muscle. Uh, it's based on all of the sets that you do cumulatively. So if you're going to, let's say, have uh, be able to do 100 sets, I'm just throwing out a number in a week uh, for all your muscles, uh, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be doing equal amounts for each muscle group. You could be doing 20 sets or 25 sets for one muscle group, and you could be doing five sets for another uh, based on your needs. And I think that's a better way to look at it. And I'd also say that, uh, again, not hard evidence on this. Uh, people respond highly differently to volume. Some do well on lower volumes. Some need more volume. And I think there's also a need to periodize volume or, or potentially a benefit whereby you can tolerate, most people can tolerate higher volumes for short periods of time, but not long time periods. So if you do a lower moderate to higher volume cycles in some type of periodized fashion, that would uh, at least theoretically allow you to optimize uh, the response to volume. Frequency, um, when you get over about eight to 10 sets per muscle per session, you'd want to generally split that up. So the general rule would be minimum of twice per week per muscle group is a probably a good general rule. Now, if you have a very strong muscle, a muscle group that you don't need to optimize, you can have some muscles you're training once a week and you can have uh, other muscles that you're training two or three times a week. So again, it's not, doesn't have to be one size fits all. Um, the repetitions, I think that we have much more of a concrete uh, understanding through the literature and the literature really shows quite conclusively that uh, from a loading standpoint, you can gain muscle to a very wide spectrum of loading ranges. So it used to be thought that you uh, that there was this magical hypertrophy range of 8 to 12 reps, and that if you focused on that, you would maximize growth. Certainly, I bought into that. That was taught when I was an up-and-coming up professional. And uh, the emerging literature really, I, I think, compellingly shows that isn't the case. And up to around 30 to 40 reps, you can get it's very similar whole muscle growth, so growth at the whole muscle level, as you can uh, with a hypertrophy range. Now, with that said, what is more equivocal is whether uh, lighter load training might be able to get you more type 1 fiber growth, which is more in your endurance-based muscle fibers, and type 2 growth can be maximized through heavier load training. This is something that uh, there's some evidence for and some evidence against it. Uh, we recently uh, carried out a study that was just published that seemed to suggest evidence against that. But I, again, that's each study is a piece in the puzzle. And I would say that at this point, I, I generally recommend mixing the repetition ranges. So doing, if your goal is to maximize growth, having some lighter load training and some heavier load training, simply because the evidence is equivocal and there really doesn't seem to be a downside for it, assuming that maximal growth is your goal. So that's kind of the long and short of general recommendations on the topic. And are there any other caveats to that? Are there any other little tricks or tips that we can uh, we can use? Um, what other kind of training methods are there that we can use to to maximize this uh, effect? No, I mean we'd be going from a fifteen twenty minute uh, talk to a three hour <laughs> talk. You know that, that that's where the that's where nuances come in and. Um, there's just so many different, again, it would be specific to the individual. 
exercise selection, of course, is going to be extremely important to maximize growth. So you need to look at the biomechanics of uh, exercise selection and then look at the uh, applied anatomy of the muscle that you're working because you want to work a muscle from different angles to optimize the different heads, assuming that a muscle has different heads. Uh, and, and the fiber alignments would have to do with that. Uh, there's rest period factors that would uh, be relevant. Uh, there's specialized techniques, advanced training techniques, such as uh, we talked about the eccentric overload, about uh, doing heavy heavy load eccentrics, which could be a strategy. Drop sets and supersets could have uh, relevance. So, again, so many uh, aspects that and the nuances. And, and again, I when I gave that before, I'm touching on the most important factors that to the vast majority of individuals will get you the vast majority of results. You're talking 90, 95% of results. What we're, you're getting into now is more of the uh, bodybuilding uh, nuances, where if you want to take your body to its ultimate level, that's where some of these other things become more and more important because that's where adding an extra pound of muscle to your frame can be the difference between winning and losing a bodybuilding competition. I think that's a, a very nice way to sum it up as well because uh, I, I don't want to ask too many more questions and um, yeah, have a three-hour conversation as much as I'd enjoy it. I think you would probably uh, yeah, not appreciate me taking up your whole afternoon. So could you give us a quick 30-second bullet point summary of what we discussed today? So the viewers or listeners can take home uh, some good key points. Yeah, sure. Um, muscle growth is extremely important for really all populations, and uh, its relevance would be specific to the individual as with everything. Uh, muscle growth occurs in uh, various fashions, including in parallel and in series, and potentially uh, sarcoplasmic and uh, and contractile element hypertrophy, as well as we kind of touched on at the end, fiber, potential fiber type specific effects. Uh, and there's many uh, different strategies that can be employed to maximize growth. Uh, we can provide general guidelines through the literature. That's going to get you into the ballpark. But these guidelines then must be uh, customized to the individual based on individual response. So people will... Uh, while well, we can talk about, let's say, a general volume recommendation of 10 to 20 sets per muscle per week, some might respond very well to you know, low volumes in the 5 to 6 to 7 range per week, and others might need 25 to 30 per week, at least for some muscle groups. And I would certainly say that uh, that's where uh, focusing on, on your weak points, uh, if you want to really get into the optimization of your physique, uh, that's where you need to, to really look at, at what your weak points are and then uh, structure your routine accordingly. Absolutely fantastic. Brad Schoenfeld, massive thanks for your time today. My pleasure, man. Thank you very much. Cheers. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to Brad for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of our Coach Academy. So the Coach's Academy is a range of mini courses broken up into bite-sized chunks and this can be on anything in the realm of sports science to give you a taster at the moment we've got zero budget testing warm-ups post-activation potentiation performance assessments omega wave hamstring rehab agility carbohydrates team sports 
you name it. So that's just the first page of those courses. And if you've enjoyed today's podcast, I probably want to point you in the direction of our flywheel training module, where you can learn all of the underpinning physiology and practical application of flywheel training and relate that to hypertrophy. So if you're interested in checking that out, you can do so for free using a seven-day free trial, which is in the show notes. So in just a few seconds time, be sure to click that one in the show notes and use the bite-sized chunks of the Coaches Academy to fit around your busy schedule and ensure you're up to date on all of the latest information. So that's it. Once again, I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport and I'll speak to you next week.